and you know, you, this is an old thing, you've heard it before, where someone goes, you know, I love God, but I don't really care for his, uh, br- for his bride. Now, would that go over well with you? If someone came up to you and said, you know, I kind of like you, but I don't care for your bride much, would that go over well? Well, I don't think it goes over well with God either. So the thing is, uh, God loves his church, and that's you and I. And the thing is, how do we help our children love the church like Gary and Peggy, and Peggy still to this day serving the Lord, and her children, all four, are in church serving somewhere? How do we do that? Well, last week we talked about why do they stay. And two out of three young people, when they graduate, they leave the church. Some come back later on in life. Some never do come back. And so the study was, is why does that one stay in church? Last week we talked about the number one reason is they had a high view of Scripture. Number two, they were truly saved at a young age and were discipled and brought up. And third, it has to do with this story I just told you. And here's the third reason. They saw their parents, hear this word, gladly serve together in the church. And at times, their children even joined in serving with their their parents in church. They saw that their parents were doing something. They, They gladly served here or there, wherever it was needed. And at times, they brought their children along. I tell you what is an incredible thing around here. Uh, You know, right now, there are a bunch of little babies being taken care of by folks that can't be in here right now because there's a rotation. And you know that a lot of the rotation are whole families that work together to take care of kids right now. Families are in there, mom and dads and their children, helping them kind of see the importance. Another thing that will bless you is over the past few years, during vacation Bible school, I know of at least one family The whole family takes a group for Vacation Bible School. The mom and the dad and the brother and the sister all join in together and serve together during Vacation Bible School. And just seeing that, they see that, hey, my folks gladly served in the church, and it caused them to have more and more roots to be able to stay connected to the church. In fact, will you take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4 tells about how every one of us have been gifted. If you are a believer, every person in this room, God has gifted you in the way that you can serve God, you can serve the body of Christ, you can serve other people, every person has a gift. So the thing is, is how are you employing it? How are you using it? One of the greatest things you could do for your children and grandchildren And church, if you're here and your children aren't here, but there are children here and young people and young adults to be able to see your example of gladly serving. So listen, this applies to every person in this room. If you know Christ, he has gifted you. If you will, start in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Did you hear that? If you're a follower of Christ, no matter how young or how old you are, God has gifted you. He has given you this supernatural gift. I always say it feels natural to you. 
but it was supernaturally given to you by God. And he gave that to you, and he says, because you have received this gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. Did you hear that? It is a stewardship. You have been given something. I have been given something by God to use for his name. And so we are to use it because God gave it to us. It would be a shame to get to heaven and God say, hey, what would you do with what I gave you? And, you? and I would say, you know, I kept it really safe. I didn't, didn't let anyone harm it. It didn't get tattered. It didn't get worn out. You know why? Because I never used it, right? And that wouldn't please God, would it at all? Because he gave it that you might use it so we are to be good stewards. And then look at verse 11. Whoever speaks, that means some of us in this room, and I say some of us, that doesn't mean just the guy like this morning me preaching. Some have this gift to be able to speak. I'm not saying that's my gift. But some of you in this room, that is your gift. You can speak to other people. You can encourage. You can correct other people. You can come along people and instruct them in the way. And so if you have this gift, it says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. And whoever serves, that's all of us, right? Whoever serves, you've been given this gift to serve one another as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him alone, glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so, serving the church. I have, I have a question. Where are you serving the body of Christ? I want to encourage you, maybe as a family, as a couple, grandparents, whoever, all of us, I'd encourage you on the church website, if you go on there, Heritage OKC, and at the top it has this one, it has several words, and one is serve. If you click on that, it will show places you can serve in the body of Christ. You can click over places to serve in our neighborhoods, and you can click over places to serve in the world. There is not a shortage of places to serve, and everyone has a place. The thing is, are you there? Are you there? Is your children, is your grandchildren body? Is, are these young people scattered and these children scattered through here? Are they going to see your example of and I think this is important, gladly serving the body of Christ. Because one of the reasons they stay is they saw their parents gladly serving the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. So where are you serving? If you're not, I, I'd encourage you, find a place. There's not a shortage. Find a place. So I was at a youth camp. It's been several years ago. And I noticed a seventh grade boy who was just uh, unusual. Uh, I know all seventh grade boys are unusual. No, nothing against you all, but I mean, it's just that season of life. But this guy was unusual because he would make his bed every morning. And if you've ever been to youth camp, that... That's just a, anyway, 
So he made his bed every morning, and then after he made his bed, I watched him have a quiet time with no one coaxing him to do it, and he'd have a quiet time, and he'd pray, and he was a gentleman, and when we were in church service, he would listen, and he was kind and considerate. He was just, I'm not saying any of you seventh grade boys aren't like that, but he was, he was like this, and it was just unusual. And so about Thursday, I come up to him, I go, hey, man, I just noticed, you know, you have your quiet time, no one saying you need to have your quiet time. And I'm like, does your dad, like, kind of help you with this? And he goes, well, I don't have a dad. And I said, well, can you tell me, like, how did you learn this? Man, you make your bed, your ma mom make you do that and all that. And, and so he told me that in his neighborhood, there was an older gentleman that on Thursday afternoons when he got out of school, he would go to this gentleman's house, and this gentleman would open up the Bible, and he would teach him, and they would pray together, and he would encourage him, and they would do these things together. And I said, well, who is that guy? And he said, well, his name is Dr. Bill Stewart. Now, some of you in this room know who I'm talking about. Some of you are going like, who's Bill Stewart? So Dr. Bill Stewart was a professor at Moody Bible Institute for years. One day, about four or five businessmen had him to go to lunch, and they said, we believe that God has given us the resources and the vision to finance and back what had never been heard of before of Stadium Crusade. And so what they were going to do, they were going to go rent this uh, like football stadium, and they were going to put all the money into the advertisement and stuff and invite people to come, and they would have singing and a group or so, and then they would have someone preach the gospel to them, and hopefully with having a mass of people, there'd be many that weren't saved, and they would come to know Christ. And we believe that you're the guy that needs to be the preacher. Now, if I was Dr. Bill Stewart as a young man and someone said that to me, like, wow, thank you. But here's what Dr. Bill Stewart said. I don't think I'm your man. I mean, I really don't think I'm your guy. And they were gracious and thanked him. And then they went to the second person on their list. And they had lunch with a young Billy Graham at Wheaton Bible College. Dr. Bill Stewart could have been the Billy Graham, but Dr. Stewart knew his place. He used to have a radio program, teach the Bible. He literally knew the Bible. He didn't even have to open it. And whenever he might misquote something, his wife, Milka, would be sitting out here and correct him, and he'd say, thank you, darling, and uh, because she knew the Bible better than he did. And yet, in Dr. Bill Stewart's retirement, in his older age, what was he doing? He was mentoring and discipling a seventh grade boy. I mean, hasn't he done enough? I mean, golly, Bible professor at Moody Bible College. He's got students all over the world. He's preached everywhere. And, but to have time for a seventh grade boy? Truett Cathy founder of Chick-fil-A, and I'm sorry I had to tell you who that was and how it's connected, 
it's not open today, all right? Some of you are going like, that's where I'm going to go today. You're just going to have to settle for Subway, all right? Because Chick-fil-A is not open today. But Truett Cathy, for 50 years, taught a Sunday school class for 13-year-old boys. He wrote a book. It's called, It's Better to Build Boys Than to Mend Men. And he talks about mentoring these boys. Do you know most of these boys now are in the leadership in the high places of Chick-fil-A Corporation? Because he invested, he mentored, he taught them, he had them to their farm. In this book he talks about he had like 25 motorcycles. And he would have all of his boys come over like a Sunday afternoon after church. And they'd get to ride motorcycles, and he would feed them chicken. He was into chicken even way back then. And deal is, uh, he'd feed them chicken, and then he would talk to them more about maybe what he taught in Sunday school. But he would talk to them about what it meant to be a, a godly young man and what it meant to follow Jesus. And you probably shouldn't be doing some of these things. And over the years, they would keep coming back to him as they got older. And then when they got married, they wanted him to be at their weddings. And then on and on and on and so what did he do like bill stewart he invested he mentored he poured his life into the lives of young people children young people college age so one of the reasons they found that young people stay connected was during their childhood and during their student years they had at least three to five other people other than their parents maybe uh, there was their Sunday school teacher but they had three or four to five mentors that spoke into their lives that would come alongside them and you know I, I remember when I was a youth pastor I would uh, speak into the lives of a young person and then the parents would come and go hey what did you tell my kid and I said well I told them this and they said I tell them all the time well that's how it kind of goes. They need to hear somebody else say the same thing and go like, well, hey, mom and dad must be right after all. Because they hear it from somebody else and they hear the truth from somebody else and somebody else that's not their parent that has to like do some things for them but voluntarily comes alongside young people and children and speaks into their lives or prays with them or helps them to go to camp or or just does some things with them. Or maybe that guy doesn't have a dad, and a guy comes along and takes him camping. Or uh, a girl maybe doesn't have a mom, and she takes and helps her to do some things. It's called mentoring. It's called investing. If you will, take your Bible. Turn way towards the back to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. good to hear that like leaves rustling I like that chapter 2 verse 2 older men are to be sober minded dignified 
self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, and be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And so for those of us that are older, we have a duty to do. It's real clear when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. It even gets more specific when it talks about those of us that are more mature, that we are to pour, invest, come alongside younger people. Sometimes they have parents, and praise the Lord, hey, but parents need help as well, right? Parents need someone else speaking these truths into their young people as well and into their children. And they, they hear this, and they hear it from other people, and it's like it connects. It's the same message like, hey, my mom and dad, they say they believe this. Well, guess what? So does that person, and so does she, and, and that person I really respect, and I think, man, that guy is really a neat guy, and they're saying the same thing, and it's like God is using all those messages to pour into those people's lives. Take, if you will, go back left. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I'm talking to us that are a little bit older now, all right? So hang on, young people. But those of us that are a little older, hear this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, So we do not lose heart, though our out, outer self, is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day now here's here's my question is that really happening with you I mean all of us we're getting older but is your attitude is your spirit is your zeal for God is it getting old too Because this verse says, as we get older, something on the inside should be happening differently. It ought to be like it's, like it's getting younger. I said this last week, I'll say it again. I'll, I'll just tell you a name, and this will ring true, right? Addie Wagner. 100 years old, but a heart and a spirit what? of joy and like a young woman. Here's just a quote. Our children and students watch to see if we are getting older or younger on the inside. They are looking to see if we are as zealous after following Christ no matter how old we get. So I'm going to rebuke me and my age and older. 
So I just gave that to you so you could be ready, all right? Quit saying you're too old. Because if you say it enough, you're going to believe it, and you're going to start doing it. And I know that we have aches and pains, and some of us, as we get older, there's some things we can't do. But please don't let a young person be discouraged and think, man, that's what i got to grow up to be like. That's what I have to look forward to. Or maybe they could look at someone like an Elliot Johnson who's in his 70s who runs about four miles a day and who is as zealous for Christ and for people to know Christ as like anyone I know. Or take like a Greg McClanahan who's like 60-some years old and I, I, he's, he's nuts. So I just have to tell you, sorry, Greg, you're listening. But the uh, deal is he's screwed on the right bolt, all right? But the deal is he's like, um, I mean, he is so zealous for the things of God he just like is just wired. It's just like it's contagious. You ought to get around people like that. You ought to get around people like Elliot, Marty. I'm not going to say how old he is, but his birthday, you know. Anyway, so Dylan, zealous, and it seems like young at heart. And I'm saying this for me as well. Don't go there. Be zealous to the very end. Don't let the outward come crashing in on you and cause you to be old but to look for the power of christ to do something different than what the world is saying in fact there's a quote if you look his name is kevin huggins he says this contagious christians find in the relationship with christ the supernatural power to defy the gravitational pull of their own selfishness and live in a unique way and so as we get older, God still has incredible things for us to do to be examples to those who are younger that as you get older, you can still have the zeal for Christ and something that they can look forward to and go like, I want to be like that. I want to be like that person. So parents, I have a question. Who is speaking into the life of your child? I don't have my cell phone on, or I would pull it out and say, make sure it's not this. There are people everywhere speaking into the lives of your children. The TV, the movies, the internet, what they hear at school, even if it is a Christian school. The deal is there are other people with all kinds of different ideas who is speaking into the life of your child. Another thing I would say, introduce your children to contagious Christians. Find other people who are living for Jesus, who maybe are a little older, and they're still courageous, they're still got some zeal into them, and get them around them because they're contagious. They're, you want them to be around people that they're still living it. They're still loving it. They're still speaking it. I mean, their life, you can just be around them for a little bit, and you go like, man, this is the real deal. This person's the same all the time I see them, wherever they are, wherever they go. They're the same here. They're the same when they're at home, wherever they're at. And so expose them to contagious Christians. Church, would you be someone, a parent, 
would want to introduce their children to. Am I the kind of person? Are you the kind of person that a parent would go, hey, I want to get my kids around that person. They're living it. They're not perfect, but they're consistent. They're contagious. They're courageous for Christ. Have those people in your home. Take your kids to where these people are. Take them out to eat. Invite them over. Get them where they are. Be around them. Let that rub off on to them. And I would say this to all of us. Who are you speaking into their life? I mean, who is it? Who are you speaking truth and courage and correction and instruction and encouragement? Who is it that you are speaking into their life? Who is it? The thing is, again, there's no shortage of people that need someone to speak into their life. It might just be hand on the shoulder. Man, it's great to see you. I'm proud of you. I saw you do that. I prayed for you last week while you are Barnabas. How was it? Um, man, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? Whenever I surrendered to the ministry, I, was, I had plans to go to Bible school, uh, yet I couldn't get there. Financially, there's no way my folks could help. There's no way I could get there. But I have three guys that I could call by name right now, Mr. Randolph, Jim Baldwin, and Roy Whittington. Mr. Randolph came up to me one day, and he goes, Hey, do you have plans to go to Bible college? I said, Well, I'd love to, but I, I just I can't do it right now. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for you to move down there. I'll pay for the four years. I'll pay for whatever you need. I'll take care of it. And so you could be that kind of person in another person's life. So having three or four mentors in their life. Here's my last one. There's about five that kind of boil to the top that when young people have this in their life as a child, a young person, like it really puts root. And here's this last one. Uh, Many of you remember a guy named Perry. Perry used to sit right back there. He'd sit in his wheelchair because Perry had one leg, if you remember Perry. And Perry went to like family camp with us, did the zip line. Uh, Perry would do anything. I mean, he didn't let just one leg hinder him. Uh, He came to know the Lord later on in his life, and Perry and I, every other Tuesday, would go down here to Inner Urban because hamburgers are like five bucks, and we liked that price, both of us. And so we'd go eat together, and he'd tell me his adventures. He was a Vietnam vet. He was a Marine in Vietnam, and he'd tell me stories. And he'd tell me about living out of his van and living on the street, and how he lost his leg, and then he came to know Jesus. And we were just talking, and he talked to he mentioned about seeing um, some people be baptized. And he goes, that, can, can you help me with what that is? And so 
we talked about what baptism was and and just just kind of in passing i said you know well jesus commanded us after we uh, follow him accept him as our lord and savior that we follow him in obedience and baptism uh, so that we identify him outwardly and publicly and he said it's a command i said well yeah jesus commanded it i mean several places but one in the great commission go into all the world make disciples baptize them in the name of the father son and holy spirit he goes you know what i i think if you're in the military all you people are military if you were in the military you're what you're still in the military right you're like you still stick to it right some of you all right so let me hear my mind. Anyway, well perry goes hey i know what it means to follow a command he's talking about when he was in vietnam war i know how to follow a command and if jesus tells me i need to be baptized and i want to be baptized how are we going to do that well that's when i kind of started thinking like how are we going to baptize this one-legged guy anyway so we set a time and it happened he scooted himself up those back steps and then he scooted himself down those steps and he grabbed around my neck and we did the thing and i got rebaptized that day also <laughs> kind of make sure it stuck you know and and he comes out there hooting and hollering smiling you know perry's in heaven today it wasn't his baptism that saved him but his baptism was a response to a command of Christ. And one of the reasons young people stay is they realize that baptism is an issue of obedience. Baptism has never saved any person. You don't get baptized to be saved. But when you follow Christ and you say you're a follower of Christ, he says, I want you to be baptized because it's a public declaration that I'm a child of God. I'm not ashamed of it. I forsake all that other. I'm following Christ. This is my public declaration. Here, I don't know if we put as much emphasis in the United States, but in other countries, you can tell people all day long, I'm a follower of Christ. I've turned to Christ. But it's not until you go down publicly to the river where there's hundreds or maybe thousands of people that are doing their daily business of washing clothes or uh, watering their animals or they're giving their kids a bath and they see someone go into the water and maybe some other person and they're saying some words and it gets real quiet. This happened in Haiti, first time I ever went there and it got real quiet. People knew something different was going on. This person wasn't washing their clothes. They were declaring that they were a follower of Christ. And in other countries, when you are baptized, there are families that literally have a funeral for you if you're one of their children because you have publicly now declared that you are a follower of Christ and unashamed of it. And they have a funeral, and no longer do they ever talk to that child. Or in other countries, they will try to kill that child or that husband or that wife or that relative. Or they'll be fired from their job or they'll lose their home. At a great price, they will publicly show that they are a follower of Christ. If you will, look over in your quotes in your bulletin. It says about baptism. The believer at salvation is united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. 
Going into the water symbolizes death and burial. Coming out of the water symbolizes new life. God teaches with symbols and pictures and illustrations and parables. Baptism is one of his finest. One of Satan's main objectives in life of a believer is to shatter any pattern of obedience to God. And the sooner, the better. If he can make baptism so confusing or seem so unimportant that one ignores it, then he has started the believer on a path of indifference and disobedience. It might be a lack of understanding. Such a person has been ill-taught about baptism, has not been taught at all. Or maybe it's an issue of pride. Some people choose not to be baptized as a matter of spiritual pride. For them to go a long time without proper New Testament baptism and then be baptized would be a public confession of a long period of disobedience or misunderstanding. Or maybe some, it's indifference. It's been several years ago, but a young man who grew up here, and you heard him preach right before Christmas, Tyler Smith, read these very words and came to me and said, this is me. I've been a Christian now for a long time, and because it's been a long time, I have this pride. But I realize I need to obey Christ. And it was the first Sunday of that year that Kyler Smith got baptized. Because he realized he had been prideful about it. Indifference. Some people never get around to applying it because they obviously do not think it is important. The very last Sunday of that year, a young man who grew up in this youth group also, a guy named Daniel Huff, said, that's me. I've been indifferent. I didn't think it was that important. But I realize it's a command of Christ. And on the last Sunday of that year, he followed the Lord in baptism. Defiance. These people refuse to be baptized. Most often, it is because they are twerking sin in their own life. So I just, as I mean, as clearly as I could say, if any of these apply to yourself, just humble yourself and follow through. Hear me, it's not a thing you really need to pray about. Jesus already said to do it. And so you just need to do it. And I know it can be scary. I would encourage you, you could use like one of the our guest cards. And you could just write, hey, listen, this is me and I've been struggling with this. I need to do this. Can we talk about this? Can we get together? Can you call me on the phone? Can we set up a time when I can follow Christ in obedience in the area of baptism? If, if it's an issue, hear me, just, just do it. I'm just encouraging it. Just, just do it and be set free. I'm not going to say his name, but I'm looking at him. Okay, now I won't make eye contact because he's going to like. But there's a guy in our church that for a long time has been a believer. But he would tell you, as an adult, he was kind of stagnant, wasn't doing a lot. 
And one day he realized there was a place of obedience he needed to deal with. And he was baptized. He is a different person. Not because he got wet. He's a different person because he obeyed an area he knew he had been disobeying a long time. And now his countenance is different. His involvement is different. In fact, you'll find him in the children's Sunday school every Sunday morning teaching little kids. And this guy travels all over the country for a huge company. And yet, like Truett Cathy, man, when it comes to the Lord's Day, he's studied up, he's ready to give his lesson to his little boys and girls in class. Why? Because there was an area of obedience he had been neglecting and putting off, and he finally said, I'm going to do it. And he did it. Men, if you're going to help with communion, you might just be ready, okay? Uh, to, and so when I say, just run up here, okay? Because baptism and communion are two ordinances. Some of us, maybe you've never heard these things, but they're two ordinances established by Jesus to be observed by his church, you and I. He instituted them and he commanded them. That's why we put so much weight into when someone's baptized and when we take the Lord's Supper. It was something that Jesus commanded. He instituted the reason the church attaches so much significance to them is he did this. He said to do this. So you and I are to stop, slow down, observe, remember, recommit, if you'll make your way don't let their movement distract you from these things listen the Lord's Supper is a memorial to the one who lived and died for you and me and so as we observe taking a little piece of bread and a little grape juice you and I are to remember Christ who lived and died for us it is a time of communion with him, meaning that while we are doing this, it's you and Jesus. And your communion, you're either confessing sin, you are either making it right with other people, or maybe that person's not here and you're committing, I'm going to make this right with this person. Because hear me, any known sin, any rift between another brother and sister, the Lord wants you to take care of that. And to take this and to remember what he's done and to hold a grudge against someone or hold a sin dear in your heart, it's like trying to face both ways. And so it's remembering, it's communion. It's a proclamation of the meaning of his death. We take this it is to help us to stop and remember that on a cross, the Son of God came because you could not live a perfect life. 
And so he came and he lived a perfect life. And then he died a perfect death because not one person on this earth could ever do that. And he paid the penalty and he satisfied the wrath of God. And God was satisfied with it. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And it was showing that, hey, God accepted that. No more wrath against those who are followers of my son and his blood covers you. And so it's a remembering. Why why did he die? He died because you were hellbound. I was hellbound. And there's nothing anyone could do about it. And so what did God do? He stepped in. He initiated it. He had a plan. And it's the only plan. And it's still the plan that God has. That it'd be by the death and resurrection of his son that would cover you and I's sin. And so when we take this, it's a stopping and remembering he died for me and then hear this it is a sign of our anticipation of his return are you anticipating Christ's return it could happen any moment and when we take this it is to remind us oh yeah he said he's coming again and I'm what to be about his business because he's going to bust in any time And what a great thing to find us busy about his work when he breaks in through the clouds, right? And we're doing his will. And so, as we take this, you'll notice as it's passed by, there's two little cups. You need to pick up both of them. And the bottom one is a little piece of bread, and the top one's a little grape juice. And so, just take your time and be careful. Because here's the deal. Right now, we're in not a hurry. Chick-fil-A's not open, right? We're not in a hurry. We want to slow it down to remember what is this. And so the men are going to pass this. When you get it, just hold it. And we'll go further from there.
wonder if just in a posture of prayer, you might hear these words and uh, respond. In fact, there might be someone this uh, pray was passed by you and you have uh, come to realize you can't take this because you have never trusted Christ. You've never bent your knee to the Lordship of Christ. You can do that even right now. You from your heart can cry out and ask God to forgive you and you can thank Him for His death on the cross for you and His offer of salvation to you. You can Ask him to be the boss. That's what I prayed when I was 21. Be my boss. Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. Believe what Jesus has done. And follow him. You can do that. Scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you've given thanks, you take the bread. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when you've given thanks you take the cup. Father, I pray that you'd help us to slow down and to remember and to anticipate and to know the depths of what your death meant and the cost of my salvation and how that you hold on to us even when we fail you and that we're your sons and daughters that you have a job for us here on earth and you have a home for us in heaven. And when you are done, you will come and get us or you'll bring us home, one of each. And Lord, I pray that we would be zealous at whatever age we are, whatever season of life, whatever economic, whatever anything in life, we'd realize that you have a purpose for our lives wherever we are, whatever job we have that you have for us to live out being the sons and daughters of God on this earth. And Lord, would you help us when we leave this place, we would remember that and we would go in your power, Lord, to live it out the rest of this week. May we walk out of this place different than we walked in. And so, Lord, hear our worship.
as we end our time here and then we anticipate our time going out on mission. I ask this in your name.